Jen's. I just on top did a shot. <laughs> <laughs> I did a wine shot. <laughs> Amazing. That's cool. You're, I think you're gonna start a new fat. Wine shots. Wine shots. Um, Wineshots.com. Yeah. Josh, can you get that yeah, URL wine real shots. quick? Wineshots.com. <laughs> All right. He'll have it by the time we're done. <laughs> Welcome to the MO Show with Jennifer Ariane DeRay. Bravo to both it? of you. Hey. This is going straight to NPR. We're going to send this <laughs> in as my highlight, my highlight tape. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, one take wonder right there. Oh, actually, it was two takes. Maybe next time, Josh. Okay, cool. So this episode, because uh, Jen does not drink um, beer. beer, we're going to do just some wine. So I might as well get a little bit going. But well, the, the reality is I don't drink beer. I pretty much strictly drink vodka. <laughs> yes. But we're going with wine tonight. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. We, we would do vodka. Yeah. But it's very strange. It like, I can, have, I can have wine. I cannot have beer. I can have sake. And I can have potato vodka. Those sake are my is rice, right? Rice. Interesting. Rice. Yeah. And I can have rice. And you're good with You could have uh, shochu. Which is, is which is rice, which is Japanese vodka, which is rice vodka. Oh, great. Okay, yeah. cool. I didn't know about that one. And they make lots of fun uh, shochu cocktails. Um, so we'll start That's with the Sauv Blanc, because I think you were drinking Sauv. I was, yeah. And this, this is cool, because uh, we've never, we've never even I know, come close never done to doing the wine, wine. The wine thing. And we have so many fun wines here, so it's perfect. Um, this one's called Tohu. It's a Sauv Blanc, and it's um, it's from New Zealand. Oh, good! New Zealand Sauv Blanc is usually my you is know my go-to. Yes. Yeah. Uh, my friend Danny, who's a real estate agent and a fireman, he's the one several years ago turned me on to New Zealand Sauv Blancs. So that's why we have these here, and this one's really good. Danny, what is his last name? Danny Lampert. Okay. Because I have a Danny firefighter that I was just talking about. That's oh, a client, wow. That's crazy. I was going to say, wow. He could be an actor. Thing. Danny he, could? Oh, yeah. He's a stud. He's well, like I'll a, tell you, Danny firefighters are amazing actors. Okay. <laughs> Is your, that's your, what I've found. Okay. <laughs> in my massive research. Jen was just talking Danny. about this firefighter. Tell us a little bit about what you're working on. Oh, yeah. Well, we were just, I mean, obviously, we were kind of chatting on podcasts. And so I have a client named Danny Gonzalez, and his brother is Ben Gonzalez. And they have a podcast that they do oh. called PRC, which is Please Remain Calm. And nice. it's just all about, like, the firefighter life. Yeah. First responder stuff. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And so they have, you know, they have guests come in, like the chief of the that firehouse or the whatever. And yeah. there's, so they, they roll through that and it's cool because Danny's an actor with me and he's phenomenal and he's been in the fire you know he's been in doing being a firefighter for 19 years now their dad was a firefighter for 32 years wow. 
and Ben is, um, I mean, it's crazy. So Ben is has been a paramedic for about 17 years or something like that. He's also a stand-up comic. So, <laughs> so like the two of them. That's a great formula. Yeah. So the two of them do this podcast, and um, we're in the process of pitching out their show called American Firehouse. That is, you know, I mean, it's they really have it down. Like, you know, go in, talk about the major incident one of the major incidents that happened in that firehouse, talk to all the guys. Then, wow. And one of the kind of bonding scenarios in like in being in a, being a firefighter and having that familial vibe is um, the meal every day. Yeah. And so then they have uh, the last portion of the show is, is cooking the, the meal, meal. and like awesome. them sitting around the table and just, you know, anyway. So um, they have anyway, the that's format down. Big time, yeah. And so, you know, Danny the firefighter slash actor client and Ben. And so we're in the process of, you know, figuring that out, pitching it out. That's very cool. We'll have to definitely check out that, yeah. that podcast. Yeah. Well, here, cheers. 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 It's great to see you. It's great yes, to, you too. To get sit and chat I and know. drink wine. Yes. And next time we'll have you back, we'll have vodka. We're getting our liquor license soon. Oh, beautiful. So we'll be able well, to... Well, yeah, do... you need to get shove some more fucking people in here, right? <laughs> yeah. Is that why? That's yeah. why. Well, yeah, I don't know if you can, but you yeah. can try. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we'll try. Um, so how did the two of you guys connect, like, originally? So... Oh, yeah, you know what? Can you go? Me? Well, I'm just saying, like, I know... I mean, obviously, the <laughs> connection was... John's story first. The, the connection saying? was Jeff, yeah, but I Jeff. don't remember how... Like, I don't remember Man. sequence of things. Um... Well, Jeff Turney, by the way. Yeah, Jeff Turney, yes. guitar player of OPM. Guitar player of OPM. Yeah. Um, so we're you gonna, guys have been friends. I was gonna say we're gonna drop a clip of Jeff saying he'll uh, with his fedora sideways. Yes. Oh, saying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fight somebody else in the bar who was also wearing a fedora. <laughs> Josh, I have fedora questions. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, I mean, we were friends, but also, well, the way we started was our bands played together. Oh, that's right. And then and we you, dated. That's right. Well, yeah. So I, you had I a told band. him that, but. Yeah. What? You had a band. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. in a band. Yeah. I was in a band called The yeah, Extinct. That's the first time I saw you was you playing. You were singing. Oh, no shit. Yeah, that's okay. the first in time. In The I, Extinct? I don't sure? remember which band it was. Was okay. it a band that Jeff played in? No, The Beans. The Beans. Yeah. But yeah. we also changed our band name every time we played. It was okay. our whole vibe of like, who gives a fuck? We're yeah. not trying to do like, because yeah. he was in Thanatopsis, which okay. is a poem about death. And <laughs> I was in the extinct. This is a lot. I'm going to have to like rewind this a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. This is but, going back. But so, so he and I, cause we were dating and we wanted to do something other than the bands that we were in. Yeah. So that's how So Hill. Yes. Um, Paul. Rattan and yep. uh, Jay Faby. Yeah, that's right. Baby Jay Faby. Yeah. So. Baby so, Jay Faby was. That's quite. A Baby Jay Faby and Paul. Uh, Rattan. Were, yeah. Uh, were both in OPM for a while as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so also Carol, who's now Ian, is is their name Ian, but uh, they were a drummer in the Extinct, my band, and also a drummer in um, the band with Jeff. But I mean, right. literally, we were like, okay, this next show, we are waft. You know, <laughs> this next show, we are stool captain. You know, we changed our fucking name every time. But we settled on the beans, and that's kind of what we kept yeah, doing. So, I so think yeah, that so was it was the, probably the that beans. That was the first time I ever saw you. I don't think I even met you that night, but Jeff invited me to a, a The Beans show, and I saw you. The, the first time you guys connected you were singing yeah the so beans. then yeah so then so then when jeff so 
Yeah, so basically at that time, um, yeah, where was I, I met Jeff, um, and I was an, uh, this is when I was a scout at Island Records. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. You know what? I, seriously, I blocked <laughs> that out for some reason. Or maybe not con- like not a moment, yeah. but I just, yeah, I did not. I mean, now I totally remember that, but <laughs> right. I, don't, I didn't remember that yeah, until so just Yeah, so I was a, a scout, and then I became friends with Jeff. And he was playing in many bands, I think, at that time. Yeah. I saw him play, and I would always go and, and see him play um, in all his different bands, whatever. And then when I started OPM, I grabbed him to come and play guitars. And then um, the, the whole crew, basically, that, that you're talking about was, like, all his, all his, his people. All you yeah. guys were his people. And, yeah. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, and then there was a there was a version of OPM where like uh, Baby J and and Paul Paul played the the barbecue. <laughs> Do you remember that? Uh, we had a, we made this barbecue out of a fifty five gallon drum that like folded open and had giant OPM in Old English on the front. Oh my and God. he had like all the he was like a multi instrumentalist like so he would play like that. I feel like I. Like a barbecue, like it was an it was a grill. We okay, made it, it looked it looked like a grill, okay, right? But it had inside it had. A, uh, <laughs> do we have a do we have a picture of this floating around somewhere? There we is. We'll it. find one. I will okay. find one. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, he had an MPC two thousand that he would play live, right? Um, and then uh, he had a couple other instruments back there, and then also we had like a George Foreman grill. <laughs> And so, so <laughs> and there would be like he would grill like hot dogs, and then he would just like, just yeah, randomly like pull it while we were playing shows. <laughs> oh yes. my god! <laughs> and uh, uh, and then you uh, know the hot dog thing that bands do. Yeah, it was like a barbecue. You know, like we wanted to like, create the vibe that was like a you know a barbecue. We were just out just chilling out of like SoCal barbecue. Yeah, and barbecue is part of your your vibe. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That was that. Hence, yeah, Paul. Right. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> um, and Jay played drums, uh, I think, one tour. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Big B wanted to kill him, like, two days into the tour. And we're like, let's just let's just ride this out until <laughs> right. we get home, and then we'll figure it out. Um, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jay almost died. That, yeah. That so tour. somehow you, like, transitioned from, like, having your band, being in a band, to, like, managing OPM. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, so my band, I was in the first band for seven and a half years, The Extinct, and then literally the day that broke up, like the next day, started another band with the bass player and drummer from The Extinct, and we were called Three Man Engine, and so we played for about four and a half years, just around LA, had a blast, and it was very, like, my first band was very, um, we just kind of fell into something, I mean, it was very basic, it was like fucking, you know, four, four, harmonies, sing-along choruses like the whole nine and so so no 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 but I'm just saying for seven and a half years I gotta say for me it kind of I mean it was an amazing experience and I loved every second of it but when I when that when that band broke up I was kind of like okay I don't want to do four four harmonies you know so oh can I I can swear here we're just on YouTube you're actually swearing really well thank you I appreciate that (laughs) a lot of practice a lot of practice Um, so so then we, so then I wanted to do something that was just bizarre and fucked up and just yeah. like totally different. So did that for about four and a half years. But at the at the tail end of the extinct, I actually started managing bands, 
but it was mostly first at first it was just like friends like oh well I just went on tour and we did all this shit and I know more stuff now so I can share that with with you know bands that are friends of mine and then it became something more official I was working with a band called King Vitamin um, which yep. was fucking amazing I love yep. that band so much and then it just kind of expanded and I, I started I managed a record producer for a while I managed a band called the Hanks for about eight years yep. um, another band called the Forward band called Jupiter Sunrise so I had quite a few bands and some solo artists like singer songwriter vibe um, and so then in in so I was doing that and um, once my the second band broke up um, that I would then I was just managing that's all I was doing so um, and in 2005 in 2005, I started doing showcasing during South by Southwest, just the music part oh, wow. of, of that. So I did I did nine years in a row doing that, um, which actually kind of bridged into like in 2008, I started doing actor management, okay. but I kept the the uh, South by thing going till like 2013. So that was kind of you know and and when did Southwest start? South by is usually Mar mid March. No, I mean like wh oh. what year? Oh well, that I was happening when I was at Island. Yeah, well, so the first was... one I went to was '96, but I know it had been yeah. going for a while still. I yeah. had no idea that it was that. Oh early. yeah. But yeah, it got back really then it was though, like, like. Oh yeah, back then it was yeah. indie and it was like, so cool. Yeah, it was yeah. super cool. I remember the first. I think it was, I don't remember what year it was, but like they started announcing like the headliners of South By and it was yeah. fucking Metallica and right. No Doubt. And I was like, oh, okay. And here's yeah. the beginning of the end. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, that's what it felt <laughs> right. like. Well, yeah. Like I remember, I think it was 96 or 97. Uh, it was all the, you know, it was like all the indie, you know, bands or whatever that were showcasing, but then you would be there and they'd be like, Stone Temple Pilots are playing right. a secret show. At, you know, whatever, and like watch Stone Temple Pilots like play at a little here. club in Austin. Yeah. Was, uh, yeah, that part was cool, except it really sucked the joy out of the purpose of discovering brand new bands who right. like, you know, had fuck all going on, except yeah. they they came from Sweden to like perform right. one fucking show. On, yeah, you know, midnight in, on a in Wednesday hopes or of getting signed. Yeah, yeah so it was a different time. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then. Uh, <coughs> uh, you mentioned the Hanks. Um, yep. And uh, which Shane has Shane was. Oh yeah, so on Shane the was the drummer. Yeah. yeah, Shane was the drummer of the Hanks. Yeah. And then this, like, Shane working with OPM was like kind of through all of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we Jeff and I produced the Hanks' first record at our studio M and O in Hollywood, and that's when we met Shane and the rest of the band, uh, Josh and Brian. And Phil. Phil. Yep. Um, yeah. So Josh was the singer. Brian was the bass, bass. player. Who's just. <laughs> I still I still follow uh, Brian on social media. I still keep up. He's with his like life. the best fucking dude. He's in such the a universe. good a good oh human. Oh my god! Yeah. So wonderful. Such a good guy. So yeah. So Phil was the, like our multi, multi instrumentalist. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah, and then um, super Shane talented. Was the drummer. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, the whole talented. band was talented. Josh. Uh, was like a genius yeah for sure like uh so much so that like he was just his almost his worst enemy yeah <laughs> you know? but he was i mean my gosh he was and it, what's crazy is 
So I went to an alumni weekend at my the school that I went to, and and basically, so I went to a co-ed boarding school that my parents helped to start in Oregon, in a tiny town up there, and um, I went up for, um, I think it was like in, when did I start to I don't know, whatever year it was, I went up and it was just like kind of, I mean, it, this is hippy-dippy shit too. This is like, you know, it was a monastery on top of a hill and a whatever. And so <laughs> Sounds that's, awesome. yeah, it's amazing. And now there are like eight of them all over the, you really? know, so, but my parents helped to start this thing. So I went up and I, I mean, the whole student body is 250 people. So like our first graduating class was like a one. Yeah. Second graduating class was fucking zero. Wow. <laughs> like, so that's, but I went back up and um, I was doing this, you know, anyone who'd come back, they'd always want you to do like seminars about your right. fucking thing. And so I was doing, I was talking about music and Brian was in the seminar. Wow. There were like 12 people, Brian was one. <laughs> and um, he had great questions. That was the first thing I noticed about him. He was like asking really cool questions. And then, um, and then right after it ended, he comes up and he's like, uh, so, you know, we're playing uh, the talent show tonight. I was wondering, at about 4 o'clock, we're doing our sound check. I was wondering if you'd come, come, <laughs> come down to our sound check and check us out. So, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I really, I mean, it was so fucking cute and wonderful that I had to hold. I remember I was like, oh, totally. <laughs> you know, inside. Pulsing back going, laughter. Holy shit. So I go, and I was blown away. I, I oh, was really? so blown away. And I was like... This is amazing. And of course, I got mad because when I was there, there was no recording studio. Like, there was a recording studio where they could, like, I mean, they made an EP in this. Was, was Shane with them then? Oh, no, no, no. no this okay. was just, yeah. This just was him? like, well, it was Josh, Brian, and, and then they had, like, bass and drums, gotcha. other, other okay. people. Um, but anyway, so that was kind of, you know, I told them after their show that night, I was just like, hey, so when you guys graduate and you're done here and if you happen to come to LA hit me up because I would manage this excitedly and so in 2000 they did all of that and then I started managing them and I managed them for eight fucking years yeah did you put him in touch with Shane how did Shane come about I don't remember how that just comes about yeah, he does. <laughs> Doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure how that happens. That's an, Yeah. Because Shane is obviously uh, like my age, and we're obviously much older. But right. But at the time, he looked younger than all of them. Yeah, he, he still did. looks younger than yeah. most. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, it was... Uh, they were amazing. They Seriously, were... Seriously, that was uh, one of the best fucking bands yeah, ever. Live, they were just yeah. crushing... And that record we did was amazing. Yeah, it, was it really so was. So good. Yeah. Um, and Brian was also the guy who, like, there was no, there was no booking agent. So Brian was really yeah, the dude who booked, booked all the, shows the tours, and tour managed. And, yeah, they did yeah. like nine national tours, and yeah. I mean, they, they, really, yeah, it was a big fucking deal. They did yeah. an amazing job. No, I've, I've, that, I, I, they have a couple new songs, newer songs on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, that old record is is not on there. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, here's the thing: the band broke. Like, I left managing yeah. them, and then the band broke up. Yeah, and, and then they Josh all just went, went on his own thing. Yeah, I mean, did, and I, is he still doing stuff? I don't know. I believe he, he still does stuff. Okay, yeah. that's great. I mean, his solo uh, I think shit he's was doing amazing, like scoring too. for films or oh, something. Okay. Yeah, that, he's, yeah. Um, 
But that record was like, uh, it was crazy because we had like we had like a month to do the record, and uh, so we go in, we do the drums. Shane just smashes it out the park, like we week you know the first you know so great. couple days or whatever right and then uh and then brian comes in and tracks the bass which i have is an amazing <laughs> <laughs> at the right time like yeah, after okay. you're done but i have okay. an amazing brian story <laughs> and then uh and then we recorded like the kind of like the first layers of guitars and we started doing vocals uh, and the record was shaping up amazingly and then we're like we have like a day left or something and then josh comes in with this notebook and he's like, he's he he's like, okay, so now, like, he had charted out, you know, everything, right? In this in this crazy way, let's do another another. You want to try a different one? Yeah, let's try a different one. Let's go for that. Um, can you grab that Fest Parker Chardonnay, the one right next to it? That one, the other one. Yep. Uh, he had charted out. Uh, um, I don't know if you want to. No, you're good. Um, Jen's I just did a shot. <laughs> I did a wine shot. <laughs> Amazing. That's cool. You're, I think you're going to start a new fat. Wine shots. Wine shots. Um, Wineshots.com. Yeah. Josh, can you get that yeah, URL wine real shots. quick? Wineshots.com. <laughs> right. He'll have it by the time we're done. <laughs> um, he had charted out, like, the rest of the recordings that he had not told us about <laughs> until until we had, like, a day left. Right. Um and I went through this book with him and this is when I realized that he was a genius I I didn't realize before what he had like laid out was like he he was like the intro of this song I want to do like feedback you know coming in and he wanted to do he had like he wanted to do like 18 layers with like harmonies and, and and had it all charted and and all this stuff and then he he had all the the violin parts charted for his mom played violin so his mom was going to come in and play violin on you know on all the songs and and all these just like layers and layers and layers and layers and layers he was going deep he was going deep like he we found out then that he was trying to make like a Pink Floyd record like we thought we were doing like a punk rock record right. And then it was like... So now that we have one day left, we're doing yeah, a pink flick. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, dude, this just isn't how it works. You know, like, we got, like, we're done, you know, like, tomorrow. Um, right. And also, we would have preferred to hear this, like, on day one. Yeah. Because then we would have said no. Yeah, and then exactly. We and we could have came up with another plan or something. Right. But then we did end up, I because I, I remembered I had, I had rented out our studio to somebody else to come in. So we actually had to leave our studio. And uh, and then I was renting another studio to do other work. Um, in uh, it was actually uh, it was in like Glendale or something. It was um, it's Jeff's uh, what's uh, it's Colin. It was Colin's dad's place. You know, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, Colin, yeah, yeah. Colin's dad owned that place, and he owned one in Hollywood and one in Burbank or Glendale or something. Right. So I was renting that room or whatever to do other stuff. And then I ended up having to do like a bunch of Hank sessions. And they're like, Cause that's where his mom came and did all the violins. Right. And anyways, yeah. yeah. So. It's be frustrating to have your own studio and someone's using it. And I you know. have to rent a different studio. Yeah. 
I had to had to pay the bills though sometimes. So right. Yeah. I rented out a few times. Uh, Babyface had his studio was literally a hundred yards from my place, and um, so I would rent it to them to do like writing sessions in there and. Yeah, we, we did whatever we could to survive in those days. But yeah. So once yeah. you like transitioned over to like your managing different bands, right? You pick up OPM. What was it like working with these guys? I would have to say it was probably horrible for you. <laughs> no, it actually wasn't. I loved every second of it. I really did. Like I, you know, I mean, the other thing is that I came from so many different bands and types of humans. Yeah. Like you know, yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't, it wasn't terrible at all. I kind of <laughs> felt, I mean, it was interesting too because it was, I think it was like the first time I was coming into something that was already happening. Yeah. You know, like you guys had done shit and yeah. awesome shit before I showed up. Yeah. So there was something about that that was just a really different experience, but a really Which great would be experience. Nice versus like trying to build something that, yeah. Nothing, yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, there were, there were a few, there were a few things that were, kind of fucking crazy yeah. um, I mean like the three things that I re- my, my memory just sucks but like <laughs> there were three things I remember that were kind of standout moments like the 311 show at, right. at Dodger Stadium oh yeah you guys played a 311 yeah. yeah many times actually no way. Yeah. I yeah. did not know that yeah but I just yeah. remember I don't we remember we played with th- them in Lansing actually it was pretty recent you know, semi-recently but this yeah, I, yeah the, the Dodger Stadium one was pretty yeah. nuts yeah so, but I just remember that was something that I kind of, um, I don't remember the exact circumstances other than I really tasked myself uh, on, like with making sure that happened, you know. And then, um, and then the uh, finding your fucking equipment down in San Diego that they <laughs> said was missing. Do you remember that whole thing? There was like, it's, you guys left like oh, some really s- important shit at your show in San Diego. Okay. And then you get back to LA and realize that it's gone. And it was something like 4K worth of shit. And yeah. all of your, you know, whatever, all of your... Uh, Merch? Tracks. No, no like oh. your tracking shit or, oh. or whatever. Like like all the... Oh, the, the tracks. Yeah. Like the, oh, yeah. yeah the, I think back then we were using like a, an 8-track to yeah. play the samples. It was yeah. like a... It was called a... DA eighty eight, I think it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So basically, the like the DA eighty eight machine. Oh, that, that'd be a problem. You yeah. Lost yeah. That. So yeah. all that stuff was that left, order. and 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 we called a few times, and I could just tell, like, well, first you guys called, yeah. and and the guy was like, nope, there's nothing here, there's nothing here, and and it was a super, it was a big bummer, obviously for everyone. Then I called too, and I just fucking, I just felt like that guy was just full of shit, yeah. like not, I mean. Not like lying, like these keeping it and selling it, but just right. he didn't get the gravity of like this being missing and like go search everywhere. Yeah. So I drove down, you know, and I didn't <laughs> tell these guys because I didn't want it to be like, hey, I drove down and nothing came of it. So, yeah. fuck, you know, so, but I drove down and I, you know, I'm knocking on the fucking thing and I go in. Do you in. remember what venue this was? I don't Is it remember. Canes? It maybe. I don't remember exactly. I vaguely remember but this, but yeah. So I went down. That's, that's how good Jen was. <laughs> yeah, she made this shit she happen. Handled shit. So, <laughs> so yeah. I was banging on the fucking door, and finally this dude comes in. He's like, "Oh my god, what?" And I was like, "Oh, what? What is that? You have some 
stuff. I I want to look. I drove here from LA, yeah. so I want you to give me free fucking reign of your <laughs> establishment so that I can make sure that what we're missing is not here. And he was like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> so like, I go in and and I look everywhere. I can't find anything. And then I go, <clears throat> is there anywhere else? He was like, and at the tail end, he goes, well, this is where we put stuff. The fans. <laughs> I'm like. Cool. I could have started there. The that would have been great. Found. Yeah, like yeah. the lost. But it was like one of you know, like one of those doors. It was like under stairs, so it's like it went up and it was like cut off door. And, and so I go in there, and literally, it's right fucking oh there. Oh my god! And so I grab it and I get in the car and I drive back and whatever. So, yes, and it was very managerial, but I also just remember it was something where, I mean, I don't. You guys gave up. Yeah? Yeah. You guys were like, okay, we have to redo all <laughs> of that stuff. start over. Yeah, we have to start over. We have to start life over at this right. point. Right. And so, and then the, the third one was Big B not being able to get on the fucking airplane with you guys. Oh, my God. That Wait, one was rough. Wait, is he rough. like a Mr. T? He can't, like, get on an airplane? No, he Speaking accidentally. Speaking of Mr. T, oh, 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 okay. he did actually. He We were getting on a plane, and he had um, one of those neck pillows around his neck. And then he, well, so he got... We we took a bunch of pills. Mm-hmm. It was we were going to Europe. Are you talking Big B now? Yeah. Big yeah. B. We we all no. We all took a bunch of pills before we we used to take a bunch of pills before we get on the plane. So we would just pass out on the plane and wake up eight hours later in London. And he took the neck pillow and put it on his head like a mohawk. <laughs> <laughs> and he is six foot five, three hundred and twenty pounds. He's not like and a scary motherfucker. I mean, scary. for people who don't know, yeah, like just right. like shaved head and like, yeah, yeah. And he told me so. But first, he thought it was he. He was just being funny. He just thought it was funny and right. But yeah, a giant dude can't just be funny when <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it was so, yeah. So he he took some kind of pill that was like very specifically to just like go to sleep. Or oh something, no! Right? I think he had Tic Tacs. I think we were on pills and he was eating Tic Tacs. No, no, no. But he told me. No, here's the thing. Okay. He had, he took some pills. I think he was pretending like he was popping, he was popping Tic Tacs. I think he was like making fun of Jeff. Yeah. For being fucked up on pills and like throwing back Tic Tacs. like. And other people saw it. Yeah, because I don't think Big B probably would have. I think every now and then he would maybe take a Xanax or something, but no, but oh Xanax. That yeah, was it was thing. Xanax. So he took Xanax and yeah. then he had a beer or, yeah, yeah. or three or, or something, and he went cuckoo town. Yeah. And they and, and so and he's a big boy. Yeah, and yeah. he's a giant dude. And so they kicked him off the fucking plane. And so yeah, they kicked him off. Yeah, and so I talked to him. He's like. And he was, he was, here's the thing. This is, this is like, I love Big B so fucking much, but here's the thing that like made me love him all the more. So right when it was happening, you know, he's like, oh, call Jen. I get, so I get a phone call from the chick, you know, off the airplane and the plane hadn't left yet, but this chick was talking to me, like whoever, security monster, whatever, just going, well, he was being erratic on the plane and. You know, he, as you know, he's a large gentleman. I'm like, okay, I get what you're saying. Um, Sizest. And so, and so he, we, we are not, we cannot allow him to be on the flight. And then I, I go, can I talk to him? And she goes, okay, sure. Passes the phone to Big B and he's like, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I was just like, I was just being myself. I wasn't doing anything crazy. I wasn't on anything or doing anything bad, bleh, whatever. And I'm like, okay. So then I said, can I talk to the girl? And then I, you know, I arranged the next flight. Da, da, da. You know, I mean, again, he, 
the way we arranged it, as far as I know, he made the show, but it just wasn't yes. traveling with he you guys. He made the show. Right. So we did all of this work, like figuring yes. out all this route and whatever. What's crazy is that, so then I got back on the phone with Big B. I'm like, okay, cool. So whatever's going on, drink a bunch of water, chill the fuck out, and you're leaving in like an hour or something. He was like, okay, thanks. So I thought, okay, done with that. He's just going to arrive and everything's going to be cool. So then B called me like 30 minutes later and he was like, okay, I just want to tell you something. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. He's like, okay, Xanax and three beers. I just want to say, <laughs> I, you know, he's like, I just didn't want to like have hold on to that. I wanted to like <laughs> let you know what really happened. Oh and I'm God. so sorry. And thanks so much for like making it all work. And I was like, oh my God, I love this guy so much now, you know, cause he could have just been like, right. fuck yeah. off. I'm just like, Right. People don't like me, and I have to deal with this or whatever. Yeah. He like he copped to his shit, which was beautiful. Yeah. I want to tell the truth. Yeah. So those, yeah, those three things stood out amongst. That's funny. You know. So wait. Do you know that I almost died at that show? Oh my god, no. Oh, I probably knew then. But yeah. I, what was? So that show, we opened up for the Black Eyed Peas, and it was, uh, it was, um, it was in, it was in Germany somewhere. And there was 60,000 people, and they were on the beach. There was a beach that went up. And then we were on, so then they're all on the beach, and then the water is here. And then out, like, a couple hundred yards out from the beach, there was a barge. And they, the stage was on the barge. Oh, wow. And the barge was 10, 15 feet, maybe, high, where you're standing. So we... We were, uh, the green room was up above where the people were. We were hanging out. And then before our set, uh, they escorted us down. We got on a boat. We drive the boat around the back. And we come in and we get up on the on the stage and we, we're playing our show. And like, as we're coming out there, like, Big B's, he was constantly trying to get us to do shit to get us into trouble. <laughs> um, so it was, it was not unusual but he was like he's like dude you gotta you gotta jump off the stage into the water at the end of the show you know i was oh like boy. i was like yeah that's a great idea um you're so collaborative <laughs> 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 right. so we play the show and then it's over and i go and i go to jump off i jump off the side of the of the barge into the water i, I dove oh fuck i dove off and as i hit the water the water was like this deep and oh. I, I hit my head. Like if I, if I had angled just oh, a wow. couple so degrees, you almost like you basically I like almost belly broke my flopped. Neck. I, I kind of belly flopped. I kind of, right. So you didn't like go into, I did. So no, I went, I hit the bottom. I hit the sand. My oh. head hit the sand. I like, I like was almost knocked unconscious. So B is like a fucking murderer. <laughs> oh, right? Yes, of course. yes, exactly. He was trying to murder. But I literally you. had I had I been angled like a couple so degrees dangerous. more this way, I would have broke my neck. Like, oh so my dangerous. god! Wait, and so, then okay, you guys would have been so popular. We would have yes, we would have been huge for that. Yeah. And yeah, then I like think what a I, dumb asshole. Well, to no, jump and then off the barge all the sixty thousand people that are there, like they all know, like this is their beach. Oh, right, like, because they, that, right, they, 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 they're like. <laughs> 
No, you're a fucking idiot. Oh my god. And then I tried to like play it off, and I was like, I was swimming, and I'm in like two feet of water, and then I get over to them. There's a ladder over there, and I like just stand up, and I'm in like it's like knee deep water. Oh my god. Yeah. It was. That was intense. So what I'm getting out of all this? You were totally okay though. Uh, I, was, I mean, you were sore, I was sore or something. Yeah, but I got, like, I got rocked. Yeah, I felt like I hit by a car. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. It was intense. So, I, <laughs> this is my Freud moment. Mm. My Pink Freud moment. Pink um, Freud. That'd be a great band. Um, were you ever a babysitter growing up? No. <laughs> Do you think being a manager was your way of like trying to be a babysitter on steroids? Because that's what this sounds like. To me. Yeah, for sure. Well, here's the thing. This is just, like, truth, right? So I was in my band, and yes, I sang, and, you know, I wrote I wrote one song and, like, a little bit of another song. The other songwriters were, like, the main people. But I just, I think through through being in my own band, I, I like, just, I was the manager internal for the band. And like kept our shit together and like made sure rehearsals were happening. If there were any fights, I would fucking fix them. I would just be like that person in my band. And so while I loved the like, you know, me singing and being a part of that, like that part of it, I think the thing that really made me happier or like like served what, what like created joy for me was making sure that we were doing all the things we needed to do to ensure that the fucking goals were being made, you yeah. know, kept or whatever. So I think that, um, cause while I was, you know, I was kind of like half, I mean, not even half, I was probably like an eighth artist and then yeah. seven eighths just making sure everything worked well. Right. So that, that kind of became my calling, even though I loved the aspect of like, oh, rock star up on the stage. Blah. But it, it became something where, I don't know, that's that's where I kind of realized. Kind of kind a of, driver. Yeah. Make like, things happen. Yeah, and I realized kind of my calling with all of it was right. like, okay, I, I can, you know, I have good pitch, I can sing, I can do harmonies, I can do whatever, but what I'm really fucking good at is making sure that we're all like, the streamlining of what we need to be doing and the focus and the goals and keeping those in mind and all of that stuff. So kind of get shit done. Yeah, and so... And John's that with OPM. Like, I, I feel like from the history of I've heard, too, is like, like through all of it, you were kind of the one that kept on, like, pushing forward. Is that, is that yeah, true? Yeah, like, when I we mean, were on everybody... tour, basically we would operate without a tour manager. I'd be the tour manager. Right. Um, but, yeah, no, but Jen's role, she handled shit like she handles business she's no joke like so how do you one of the most non no nonsense badass motherfuckers Thank i've ever you. known that's yeah. wonderful i yeah. did a little Appreciate research that. on you just a little bit and i found a podcast and i was like i listened like three minutes and i was like i get you oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh wow this is very similar to kind of how i feel even though at times I, i'm like trying to pull myself back a little bit but how did you transition from music to actors? Where did that, how did that come I about? I mean, the, the short version is that I got to the point with, because you have to understand, like when I started managing music, this was like, oh, we got a million dollar advance for our blah, blah, or like, oh yeah, we're gonna shoot that music video for 250K, and you yeah. know, that's when I, when I started in the business. So <clears throat> it got to the point where 
And I, I stayed solo the whole time. Like I never joined up with a company. It was just myself, you know, it was just me doing all this stuff. So I got to the point where I just, I, I don't know, I kind of got sick of all the shit. Like keeping up with the new things, the new things, the changes, oh, how YouTube affected things, how GarageBand affected things, how yeah. whatever. And the money, the money side started going lower and lower. Yep. Wow. And we were still in the place where licensing wasn't fucking cool. You know, like, yeah. like putting your music in a, in a fucking commercial or like, oh, we're selling toothpaste. Like that was, that was kind of off limits, but that was also the way that money was needing to be made at that point. Um, and obviously you can navigate that in a way like, oh, we're in a cool indie film or we're whatever, but the majority of it was very like commercialism, like, okay. It was sell out shit. Yeah, so if it was you, still considered selling yeah. out. Right. So it was a really tough time to kind of figure yeah. out how to... Make you money know, without selling out. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's not even, you know, it, it wasn't money motivated as far as like, no, well, I, how am I going to buy my Rolls Royce? It's just yeah. like, how am I going to fucking like... Make a living. Yeah, make a living and, and get the energy, which is money, like the energy going in the right places to continue to expand and all of that. So... And there were a few other things. I mean, I kind of got to a point where with a couple of my artists that I was working with, I knew that if I continued doing my job well, that more and more people would be in the position of hearing what they had to say. And I was realizing that I wasn't really behind what they had to say. So that was kind of fucked up. I was like, okay, I'm going to piece out of this. And um, But I knew that I wanted to work with artists and I knew that I had kind of found my calling of helping artists do whatever it is that they wanted to do so visionaries need management right and so the they only do. other place I mean, yeah yeah i mean and they need the right management i mean that's the thing like i feel like part of the reason that my company's found the success that it has is that i come from a place of knowing what the fuck art is and why it's important and and all of that stuff it's not just about like oh let's exploit these creative people to have a fucking house or or whatever it is so i that was when I decided, like, okay, well, actors is the way to go, because that's, you know, I mean, I'm not going to, like, manage painters or something. I was like, I need, it needs to be more active and whatever. So in 2008, that's what I decided to do, was, like, be done with the music industry completely and start managing actors. And I actually had a friend named David Basilla who had been a friend for a really long time and he kept saying like he would hear me on the phone with with my bands or whatever just going what the fuck and you know doing whatever I do and then he said you should manage actors like this is something you should do 2008 isn't it was that was that the great recession it was I I entered post the big okay yeah like the big strike that fucked shit up so I was after that just after it just after it but my friend David just kept saying, like, you should manage you should manage actors, you should manage actors. And then when I decided that I wasn't going to work in the music side anymore, he said it again just at that moment. I was like, cool, I'll, fig- I'll see what that's like. So there's a website called Breakdowns, which is basically, it's all the casting directors putting out all of the roles that are available. Right. Right. And so, I mean, I'm, I immediately, immediately was so fucking pissed off because I'm like, Hello, music business. Why don't you have a website where yeah. you say what the fuck you're looking for? We can yeah. go submit my band or whatever. It's yeah. so much more streamlined. So, I mean, when I was when I was managing music, I had ATN management, which was and it stands for All Together Now. So I had I had that, 
and then when I started on the on the acting side, um, it was basically so ATN Entertainment. Just because I had some, you know, like it's not going to just be actors. It's not going to be. I didn't know what it was going to be, but that kind of began to, you know, just like a, a bigger, a wider and bigger umbrella. So, um, so I started in 2008. Um, I actually. I was still doing my South by Southwest showcasing the music side, which was great because it kind of kept my lifeline in, in great music. Like I was still, I still felt part of music in that way. But so I started managing, and my friend David Basilla, who I told you about, he's an actor, and he was like, "You should manage actors. You should do that." So I decided, like, okay, cool. So I started, and David was my one actor client. All right. So I got, I got, you know. As a manager or an agent, you subscribe to Breakdowns and you get that that website availability so that you can be submitting your guys. So I got Breakdowns, and I think then it was like two fifty a month or something. Don't agents submit? Right, that? but here's the thing. Yes, they do. Okay. That's their job. Their agent's job is to get the work. But what managers can also do is submit and pitch and get jobs for clients. So we do all of that. We like that's a major pursuit of ours is to be submitting and pitching for our actors. Um, so I got breakdowns, two fifty a month for one client. It was just like me and David figuring the shit out out of my apartment. <clears throat> so, and pretty quickly, the one thing that I realized too, this is crazy. So one thing I realized is that being a band manager, like a solo band manager, not like with some hot shit company or whatever. I mean, I would get people asking me like, oh, you know, like, oh, wh so what do you do? And I'm like, I manage, I manage bands. And, and literally the majority of the responses were like, oh, that's a job? Like, <laughs> oh, you mean like that's, like that's what you do for your life? I'm like, yeah, fuck, thanks. Yes, <laughs> that is what I do for my life. But it's so polar opposite, obviously, especially being in LA, being an actor manager. Yeah. Like, I learned very quickly to just shut the fuck up about what I do. Like, I don't tell people, like, oh, I manage actors because it's like every, you know, I went to a birthday party of one of my clients and she had said that, oh, I invited my manager and a bunch of the people who attended the birthday party were her acting class. And I mean, these motherfuckers showed up with resumes in their purses right at up. a bar, you know? Yeah. So then, so, but it was, it was a crazy thing, the polar opposite. So then I started just like not ever telling anyone about that. But so 2008, I started and within about six months I had 11 clients just because, and you know, and back then it was just like, oh, I like you. Cool. I'll manage you. I don't, you know, you're, you may be a great actor. You may not be, but I like you and that's yeah. it. So, and I'm still doing my um, showcases, which for me, my, my South by Southwest showcases were basically get the sponsor dollars on board. And it was anywhere from like 30 to 50K every time and a new charity every year. So 2008, late in the year, I found out that my sponsor for my, you know, 2009 South by fell out and I didn't have them anymore. And so I went to someone who I had met on the, she used to like work at, you know, like she used to help manage Anthrax or some shit, but she had um, um, an actor. Band or like the, 
the poison. Yeah. <laughs> the poison. Yeah. <laughs> or well, the band poison. Yeah. Yeah. She, wait. Oh, yeah. So confusing. Yeah. <laughs> no. But um. Let's so, ask Colin. Yeah. So she. I had spoken to her about something else earlier, and then I went to her and I said, "Look, I have 11 clients. My sponsor fell out for South by. I already have bands like confirmed. I have to make sure that happens. I was really excited about being a manager, but I have to figure this shit out." And she was like, "You know, oh, so I said, so take a look at my roster and let me know if there's anyone that you want would love to work with or whatever." So she said, "We will take all 11 clients, and then once you're done with your South by thing, circle back. We'll have a meeting and decide what we want to do," which was amazing. So all that happened, I pulled off my showcase, whatever, and I had a meeting and then I became a manager at her company. So I was there for six and a half years and I started as a manager, then senior vice president and executive vice president. And then late 2015, I decided to just start my own thing. So, um, so, but basically it was, you know, and I learned a shit ton. That was my, like cut my teeth, figure out what the hell is going on. Obviously, smart move to transition from music to film when you did, at, especially at that time. But um, going back to what I was saying about yeah. the music industry, it kind of reminded me, like, so the film industry, obviously the, the tech of, like, being able to download a film, you know, because of the difficulty of, like, larger files, obviously, or whatever. Right. It was, they were able to see the the devastation coming rather than it hitting them like the music industry just hit them overnight almost, oh, right. Right? and the film industry kind of had some time to prepare for it so now you see like they they were prepared and they changed tech like you look at companies like netflix and you know netflix is the is the best example of it, right or like I mean, even back then like blockbuster kind of got ahead of it and started doing you know like there was a blockbuster you know, website or whatever, but like Netflix being the best example, right? Like they never thought of that. That's so interesting. The size of the file. Yeah. You couldn't, I mean, back then I remember like people trying to download movies and stuff. They, they remember uh pirate, I was calling pirates Bay or yep. whatever was yep. the website. Pirates right. Pirates Bay had everything. There were torrents. Remember that was the, yep. the big oh, yeah. thing was bit torrents. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were films and stuff out there, but it was like often you would download a film on pirate, you know, on a torrent site or whatever. And it would like take forever. It would, it would take forever. And then like you'd get halfway through it and then you realize the file was corrupt or whatever. And it was just like, ah, I didn't got to download it. A virus. It was, yeah, or right. exactly. It was, it was yeah it's stop in the middle and you're like yeah great. it was horrible I, mean, not that I did it or right. busted it but yeah so but netflix no, no, I mean, being no illegal stuff that's weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah so they so the so the film industry obviously got ahead of it um, i'm sure a lot of you know a lot of big film companies have uh, have suffered from the the wrath of like a big company like netflix or whatever who's now making their own films <laughs> or like like hbo making their own their own films and their right. own series and stuff like that but um but it kind of feels like uh it was a seamless sort of adjustment uh they right. weren't like devastated by any means i think maybe like and then even like you know covid you know basically that was devastating right to to not being able to go see movies right right, right? and then it's and it's actually changed it like you know the model of like you know now disney putting out films on their Right. on their app even before or oh, during yeah. the time of being in the theaters and all that. Um, I mean, even the concept of deals now where it's like, 
you find out whether it's going to be theatrical or it's just going to go straight right. to streaming. And before, it was never even, I mean, a long while before, it was never a question. Like, of course, it would come out to th yeah, in theaters, exactly. and then you would figure out what the fuck right. to do with it. But now it's like, you yeah. know, I have a client who did a House Party. Like, they did the re the remake with oh, wow. LeBron. Yeah, so. Wait, House Party was Kid and Play, right? They no, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, like, House Party. No, no, that's Fridays. Sorry. No, Friday or whatever. Friday was Wasn't Ice Cube. It? Oh, okay. My okay. neck, my back, my neck and my back. That's Friday. House okay. Party was Kid and Play. Oh, okay, okay. Wait, LeBron? I'm not, I don't know if I'm aware of this. There's a new version of, of House of Party? House Party, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I just know on, <laughs> yeah. So on my, my side of that with a client in it, and she's like one of the female lead of that. Okay. Of that. Um, you know, there was that moment of like, okay, are we going theatrical release right. or is it just going to go HBO Max yeah. and question question and at yeah. first it was just going to be HBO Max but then now it looks like it's theatrical then and slash then you know yeah. HBO anyway but yeah I mean there was a period of time where it wasn't even a question like that that wasn't yeah. an option it was just like it's going to be theatrical it's going to be theatrical and you pumped if it ended up somewhere else after right yeah, because yeah. it would just, that would be the thing that yeah. would, after the main thing, would, gen, you know, be able yeah. to generate some supplemental income after. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's interesting because I didn't even, I haven't, until you just said that, like, I have never put together the concept of, you know, the pirating and the and yeah. all of that stuff. And, the, and it, in a way, the solution to pirating was kind of like Netflix. Like, yeah. that's... Like we'll do it official, and we'll make yeah. it a screen, a streaming thing where it's like it goes there. I mean, I you know, there's yeah. a lot of information woven into that whole thing, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting yeah. concept rather than just like oh well, it's in the theaters. Yeah, and well, then that's interesting. When I I remember very specifically, I don't know why, but uh, when I was at Island, yeah, I went to. A, I think a friend of mine was speaking on a panel at some conference and they threw up this chart and it was talking about uh, the the biggest the like they there was you know all this data on um, you know who who's buying records and the number one spot was like 13 year old girls hmm. like by a lot and then, and then the number two spot was like, you know, it was maybe it was a range of like, you know, twelve to fifteen year old right. girls, and then the next spot was twelve to fifteen year old boys, and then it kind of, and, the, and this was the sale of CDs, right? So, wow. Um, that was rural, right? Country, what's country music in the rural areas that didn't uh, have internet. Not, not this center, not, okay. not this era. This one was an island. This is okay. still like this is pri this is very early pre, uh, you know, pre Napster stuff. Yeah. So, um, and then it kind of went down and then you figure like, you know, older, you know, like, you know, at that point, like a 45 year old male was still buying vinyl or, you know what I mean? Like that was still available or, wow. or cassettes or whatever. So they were, they were a smaller market of the CD sales. And at that point, all they cared about was CD sales because CDs were king, right? And they were making so much money and they were, you know, like they were re-releasing old, you know, seventies catalogs. Like they were, they re, you know. Atlantic at that time when we got signed, like they had just re-released and remastered all the, all the Led Zeppelin, you know, right. turned it into CDs and made more money selling CDs than they had originally sold on vinyl. Crazy. 
Um, yeah, that's insane. Yeah, so there was, you know, so there was just the, the, the amount of money they were making was insane. And, and when, when you were drop at that, in that time, if you were dropping what was considered an A-level band, like, you know, if U2 was going to drop a record, the expectation was they were going to sell a million copy, a million CDs on week one. And then it would, you know, kind of slow down from there. But they knew right. that, they knew that, like, you know, the first, you know, 10 weeks or whatever, they were going to sell, you know, close to 10 million records. Right. Um, or whatever. Um, so, um, and then there was this bit about where they talked about, like, piracy, like, how much was pirated. You, obviously, the ability to burn CDs was a thing then. But in America at that time, it was, like, very taboo. Right. To steal a CD, right. yeah. and it and it was like uh, it was like this it was like a fraction it was like a fr- it was less than one percent of you know the 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 circulation of said CE, CD or whatever right right and so mm-hmm. that that mentality is why the concept of something like Napster coming out and then it being straight piracy. Right. They thought like there isn't a chance in hell, and I remember them showing in other countries like China, for example, the num- the the highest. It was a similar chart, and it was the young people, and the piracy level was the highest, and then the sales went, you know, down down the graph, and uh, they would like, you know, talk shit about China. Like so, obviously, we're never going to send our bands to China because fuck them because they're stealing all this stuff. Right. You know? Right. Um, and and other you know a bunch of other countries so um they really didn't think that would happen and then and then like within a matter of you know less than a decade right half of a decade let's say like five years whatever the norm for kids became to just steal music right right and um and then that was like you were i think what you were alluding to we're talking about like but in still like in uh we were talking about country blew up because the kids who were listening to country couldn't afford computers, as was the idea, right? So they were still buying CDs. They were like behind. They didn't have a computer that had the ability to, you know, yeah, steal stuff. Steal it, yeah, right. so <laughs> made country popular. Yep. Which puts a lot of artists in the country. A lot of yeah, which industry became pop. Into, in pop became country. Pop country, yeah. Right. yeah. And, and everybody, everybody who was a good studio musician in LA moved to Nashville. Nashville, right. But tech changes everything, right? Yeah. Like tech is still changing the, the industry you're in too because yeah. like I know a lot of actors, baseline, as an actor, you need to be a good actor even though there's a lot of bad acting on these, this stuff. But actors are artists just like musicians and they need management, period. Like yeah. artist, management, yep. right? Um, however, like I think a lot of artists I found are disillusioned now because a lot of stuff that they do goes into a black hole. Like you don't go in, you don't get to meet people, you don't get to like audition in front of people and meet them and like show your true identity. You have to go self-tape in your own room, in your own house, send it into a black hole and you know, never know if it even exists because the industry's changed the from my understanding it changed to the fact of like no big time yeah there's no I mean literally if we get if we get a request for an in person theatrical like commercial is its own monster but like theatrical audition like for TV film or whatever I mean it would be a surprise like wait you mean you're like going into a room with but in a way 
I mean, it's, I look at that, I look at COVID almost very similarly to how I look at like YouTube and GarageBand and fucking MySpace, how that shifted the paradigm early on. Because the reality is you still like shitty, I mean, shitty actors are still going to be shitty actors. Amazing actors are still going to be amazing actors. Casting is, and I'm not, I mean, this isn't the real thing, but like they're more excited about sitting in their pajamas watching fucking self tapes than like, oh my God, Fred, how are you? Are you doing well in your life? And blah, 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 who gives a fuck, whatever, do your, do your scene. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that in a way that the casting sucks. Like there are a lot of casting directors who I, I personally know actually give a fuck. Like they're, yeah. You know, when someone back in the day when they would do a live audition and like the art was present, they would hug because the casting director was like, fuck yeah, right. this is amazing. But I feel like this is something that we're just weathering in a way. And it and again, just like everything, you know, you the pendulum fucking goes yeah. crazy okay. and it's going to fucking settle. Yeah. So, okay. um, yeah. And I mean, <laughs> just on, on the acting side, like there will be in-person auditions, but it will not. I mean, my prediction or whatever it's not going to be the first audition out. Like the first, the yeah. first audition is self tape because right. it fucking works. Do, do and you, you can be on a mountain in. Yeah, but do you think, like, actors? It's putting a lot more work on actors to do all this upfront work that they don't okay. know where it's going. But the flip side is that an actor can do 27 takes if they need to. Yeah, but they're going to spend all day doing that or two days doing that and get their camera right. Yeah, but it's worth it. No, but now, but it is because now here's the thing. Every actor that I manage, they have a home self-tape setup that costs about $45 and they're ready to go. So, but they have a bit more. I mean, in a way, it's a feeling they're of doing a, their hair, their makeup by themselves. Yeah, but when they when they're doing a film, it's it's more than that. Or if you're if you're recording a record, it's more than that. Like there isn't. So would you, nobody's a one take. So Jake. Would, would would you record like fifty songs and then well, Atlantic? How many songs do you guys put out and then they're like, oh, let's let's move on to the next thing? You know what I mean? Like it's a lot more put on than normal. In the past, I would say. No, if you think about, like, you've heard stories about, like, Kubrick directing, like, I, thought, I can't remember what, there was that one scene in uh, in Eyes Wide Shut, and they, they filmed the same, it was, you know, it was like a 30-second scene, and they filmed it for, like, How eight days straight. How much work would straight. you do if you knew you weren't, you didn't know if anything was going to come out of it? I mean, the, the obviously, see, the goal would be... But that's what actors, I mean, if, if an actor comes into the business and they they their expect their expectations are solidly in reality they know what the fuck they have to do yeah. it's like either okay it's this or go find something else yeah. to do because this is the way that this works so it's like to me the the first round of auditioning is on tape so fucking figure yeah. it out do your best work figure it out on my side of things Usually what I tell my actors is like, cool, so do a take that is for casting. You know, like you're like, okay, I'm going to give them what I think that they want and then give me a take that's for you, like the art part. And usually I send in both takes. Mm. So it's like, you know, here's the one that is kind of catered to you and here's the one that is just like the artistic that. expression yeah, of the fucking cool. human. No, yeah. I like that. So, but but again, you know, it's... a. I mean, I have these conversations I, with my actors so often. Right. I've read, I've read that stuff, like, and yeah. it's like, 
get such vague, like this is what we want, and then all these specifications. Right. You know, it's a lot of. I mean, I live with it, by the way, but it's right. a lot of work. Yeah. No, absolutely. No, but I, mean, I would say but I, love, I love. I love what you're saying, though. Is like do what you think they want, and then do what you think yeah. would be good. I like that. And yeah. you wouldn't. You wouldn't have that opportunity in a. In a, in a in live the room. casting, yeah. Oh yeah, no. Because and then they'll also, go, okay, thank you. Yeah, exactly. Next scene or whatever. Yeah, and, and whichever version you pick to do, you could still miss the mark. And then I was to say to go back to your question, answer your question, like, would you still do it? And the answer would be like, yes, endlessly. Yeah, a million percent. Endlessly. Yeah. Like, to, to, it's it's like the line from Dumb and Dumber, where like, you know, the you know about like you know, you have a one in a million shot or whatever. He's like, oh, so you're saying I have a shot. Right. Like that's every actor or musician's mentality. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. You're either going <laughs> to... You're not sold. No, no, no. But all. here's the thing. Not at all. No, but you're either going to fucking cut it or you're going to leave. And that's on you. You can't be a brew like... I don't even know if we're talking about the same thing, to be honest. I, I might not I'm be not on your... I'm playing with you. Yeah. But I'm... Uh, you can't brew endless beer if no one's going to buy it, right? Uh, but there's a million... Uh, most people brewing out there are doing that. Hoping that right. someone will until they figure it out. I'm with you. Yeah. I, I, thought I, I, I thought I'd just rattle you guys a little bit. I no, but I, I, I understand what you're saying, but like you, um, like, and obviously it's, it's because of the fact that like it's, it's a one in a million shot. It really is on anything. Like the, you no, know. totally. And, and most actors, they come in knowing that shit. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, there's, you know, there's a validity to having a manager or having an agent or having someone on your team who's like, fuck yeah, we're doing this together. I believe in you. Right. And sometimes I believe in you when you don't even fucking believe in yourself. And that's my point of, I think, why management's so important. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. But that, right. but, but it is, there is a reality now where it's like, yeah. You get your, you have to get your self tape game down because, you know, here's the thing. I, I say this to my actors all the time. There's so many things about this business that are just super fucked and don't make sense and are not okay and fear and scarcity and all of this stuff. But you have to get what that is and still decide to be here and present and contribute and do your job. Yeah. Because there is the option of like getting really frustrated. I, I say exactly the thing. I'm like, okay, so you either go pick it in front of Netflix and that's your job or you head down, do the fucking work, get to a place where what you say matters in the industry and then express yourself. Right. You know, so it's like on my side, I get what this game is. We all in the, in the industry, we decided co consciously to play this game and that's what we're doing. So don't be surprised when th something inane and fucking ridiculous happens because that is what this is. Yeah. And we chose to be here and we chose to continue to pursue art and work on the craft and bust our asses to get shit done. I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent. Yes. But it, it'll, it'll, it'll play back into what we're talking about. Um, it was just something interesting that's happened recently, like something that I kind of acknowledge. Um, a bunch of people have uh, have asked me um, about the about the podcast. It was funny. Like I talked about, I talked about. I'm trying to formulate my my thought here, but I talked about doing this podcast for a while, and then um, and I talked to a bunch of people about it, and then until I talked to you, 
um, you were the first person that was like, yeah, let's do that. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, let's do that. And people have asked me, um, a bunch of people have asked me, why, why, who's this guy, Jeff? Why, why do you do the podcast with him or whatever? And I was like, and my answer has always been like, oh, because we do jujitsu together. And like, we're, and like, it's like a really dumb answer. Like, wait, we do jujitsu together. And they're probably going, that's a dumb answer. But that's the answer. I mean, I don't, I don't know why. But the answer is really that like, you were the first person who was like, let's do this. And then, um, and then sort of kind of sidebar to that, a bunch of people now that we're doing the podcast, a bunch of people have told me, oh, I really want to do a podcast. I, I want to do a podcast. And, and my, I'm always like, well, why, why, aren't, why aren't you, you should do it? Why aren't you, or why aren't you doing it or whatever? Aside from my sister, who her answer is like, it's logistics. She's not right. a tech person. She has no idea how to put right. the cameras and the microphones into a room. Um, but everybody else aside from her, and it's been multiple people, their answer is all that they're afraid. Mm. They're afraid to do it. There's some fear in, in, in the answer. It's in, in, and, um, and I think for you and me, like for me, and I was like, for me, it's like, you know, obviously I have a, there's a, is a clear reason for me, like why I wouldn't be afraid to sit in front of a camera. I've been, I've been on stage a thousand times. I've done a thousand interviews. There's fear isn't even in it there's a confident like it's almost i'm overly confident at this point i'm like watching them back going i need to like tone down my my <laughs> right. confidence level a little bit um and then i think for you it's the same like you there was no zero fear for you you've you've done podcasts before you've done you you do when you're doing your well, the reality and why i was biting at that just because i i just wanted my wife's an actor um, and, uh, <laughs> I, I figured as much because you were talking I, I, about self tapes. Yeah, I, I shouldn't be the one on camera. Like <laughs> she knows what she's doing. Um, but I started doing stuff like this, and I, I just forget that I'm even on camera. Yeah. So I mean, like, I don't. But there's no fear in it for you. Right. I don't care you know what, what I mean? people yeah. think of me. So I mean, that's kind of my point, and I think that like, um, this stuff to most people is really fucking scary. Right. You know, and like fear is. Fear is the is one of the main components of um, not allowing yourself to live. <laughs> well, no, but like it, it's uh, it's like the um, you know like like when you're like imagine if you're doing a casting and you you like you know that let's say one day you're gonna have a hundred people come in, only one of those people can get the part. Right. So there's a big, a big sweep of just, <laughs> just cutting the heads off of 99 people right. on that day. And probably 90 of them, it's clear the second they walk in the door that they're scared. Right. And they don't know that's what it is, but it comes across in their performance. They're not, right. you know. And then it's, you, you whittle it down to like, ah, there's 10, 10 people who came in here fearless, confident, know what it is they're doing, whatever. And then now you've right. got to pick between a handful of people. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and what the crazy thing about that is too is that fear is inherent like you know, getting on stage or being yeah. like the focus or or whatever. And then you have a shit ton of people in this industry who perpetuate it and push it and make it be something that is like I mean, that's the thing that I deal with every single day. Yeah. Is is, you know, reps 
a lot of times, you know, agents, managers, producers, directors, whatever. I mean, there are a lot of really good people that I've actually met, which was hallelujah. But, you know, there are a lot of, of uh, managers, agents who they lead with ego and they lead with, I have the ability to make your dreams come true, yeah. but I'm not doing that for you. <laughs> You know, and it's, I mean, it's a pretty intense thing. Like yeah. so many actors that I meet with on their, like their first meeting with me, I can just tell they're beating the fuck down. Yeah. Like they are, they are afraid. They, they're, they're cool to have an agent who never gets them any auditions, but just having one is so important. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I, I've done some of these panels, like I'll do a, every now and again, I'll do like a manager panel or a rep panel. And you have like 25 to 50 actors in front of you and we're the rep people. And like, there's one in particular that I remember that just, it kind of encapsulated the entire problem with the industry. So we were there, like the thing started at 11 and we were there at 1045 and there was a spread created for us like, oh, bagels and fluffy bullshit, whatever. <laughs> You know, and the actors are out there. I mean, I just, you know, and I kind of went to this mode of like, you know, we're being fed this amazing spread. They're fucking hungry and they're just out there observing the awesomeness that we get to have. And then there are these these managers who are on their phones or talking with each other like, oh, yeah, we just, you know, we just got the series regular on the big fucking blah, blah, blah. And like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, the rate is like 50K an episode. It's incredible. And they're doing this shit in front of these actors who are just like, I just want one job or like <laughs> right. somebody to give a fuck or whatever. And, it, and, and they keep like these reps and stuff, they get to get away with this. And it perpetuates the fear that a lot of times, like you were saying, these guys already have it going on without any, you know, outside influence. Yeah. And then you have some reps, some agents, you know, agents, managers come in and go, you know, change your fucking hair. You're never going to make it, you know, and then they, they rush off and they change their hair, you know, or, or this fear factor shit. And also like, well, you, you know, how long it's taking you to get an agent and I'm kind of interested. So you need to kind of shut the fuck up and do what I think you should do. And the, the number of times that I have to like fight against that and try to like shed, like get all that shit off. I mean, it's like, it, it literally is like, you know, beaten actor syndrome, whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, I'll have somebody that I'm really vibing with and I think they're really talented and I'm excited. And then at the, even at the end of the meeting where we've, we've totally vibed and it's cool. And they'll say something like, I mean, would it like, would it be okay if, if maybe I just like, called you like just like once a month or so, like just to you know and I'm like fuck like let all that go just be all right like I'm your manager my job is to facilitate what you need to do in your career so we're going to be talking all the time just have that right. like communication yeah. figuring out what the fuck needs to get done and doing that but I mean, it, it is such an insidious fucking thing, especially for just artists who are here to like go, cool, art, I want to create some shit. Yeah, I want to like create. impact, like emotional impact with someone and, and like make that be my thing. And, you know, and then there's just all of these things that are just fucking, I mean, it's it's insane. It is, it is an insane pursuit to like navigate this industry with 
like I can say one for one, every fucking actor, writer, director, or whatever on our roster, they're just, they're tremendously talented. And I would probably say about 50 to 60% of them, I'm still peeling away all of this gross shit that has been attached to them over the time they've been in the industry. I think it's an important thing that you're doing. Yeah, yeah it's insane. Really I mean... Which leads us to a perfect point. Tool. Yes. Tool. John has this thing called Tool. Yes. Explain Tool. Okay. Tool this is, is perfect timing for this. Okay, this good. The theory of overall logic. Okay. It's a theory that um, basically summed up is... Uh, the idea of it's basically a replacement for the word common sense okay which i think has been uh the the word lost. the word has been lost <laughs> it's been right uh basically because i think people now think it's like oh com the word common is is very misleading right i think our generation our parents were given a very a, a set of skills and tools to survive in life and then it, that was called common sense. It was passed and down. It was passed down to us sort of inadvertently. And then when our generation started having kids, the saying common sense, either you have it or you don't, was a thing. Right. And so then um, obviously there's different levels of intelligence in people. Um, so like someone might have two kids and one was smarter than the other and they would say, oh, this one has common sense and this one doesn't. So then, like, we don't need to teach them the common sense things. Kind of a less, less has been passed down from yeah. our generation to the next. Exactly. Kind of and so now it's kind of snowballed into, like, I think our generation now looks, it's very common for people to say, these kids have no common sense anymore. Like the whole, there's a whole generation that's kind of lacking common sense. Which Socrates said a long time ago. Yeah. However, what we're, one of the pieces that we like to do on this podcast, it's not a podcast, it's a show, is... We like to talk to people that have taken like different paths than most people. That's why we wanted you on the show. You've taken your own path, by maybe by design or not, but you just decided what you wanted to do. What was like one lesson learned for you, and I'm, I'm sure there's plenty, that you would like maybe give advice to like your younger self or other people? And specifically like a tool in your, in your toolbox, your mental toolbox, of something that like I got it. I know what I'm gonna okay. say. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I love so, that. I love that tool. The yeah. tool in your toolbox. <laughs> in your toolbox. So, obviously, a big part of my job is being able to sit with another person and potentially try to change something or add more information so that we're we're more in line with what we need to accomplish. So. I, you know, and so, so much of my job is communication. It's like figuring out, how, and I have, right now I have 102 clients and every fucking one of them is a complete individual, not like any of the others. And that takes a lot of how to communicate because you have to like shift your shit to be able to really communicate to each individual person. It's a lot of work. Yeah, so, so, but one of the things that I've learned is I mean, this is a tough thing to say because in, in an ideal world, you actually give a fuck, <laughs> you know? I mean, like, as a foundation, you actually care about the individuals in, in front of you and you know that it is a huge responsibility to come in as like, cool, I'm going to be the one who's going to spearhead the actualization and the progress 
of what your dreams have been since you were five fucking years old, right? So it's like, that's a big, like, that's a huge responsibility. Yeah, so, so part of the thing, and what I've found has been successful, I mean, in hindsight, it wasn't like the plan of like, well, if I do this, I'll be successful, but it's like, it has ended up being successful, is for one thing, which not a lot of people have, so this is kind of like a bit of a sidebar thing, but it's like, I came from a place of knowing art and creating things and why that fucking matters and you know writing a song that resonates or contributing to a band that makes you know that has an impact or whatever but every single conversation that I have about something that is important even just shifting like okay so we've been doing things this way for a little while because you wanted to let's try it this way because it's not totally fucking knocking out the park and we need to do this but it's always leading with the love and care and giving a fuck about the person in front of you because then everything you say after that is in line with what that is because that person is never going to feel attacked or like me going, what the fuck are you doing? You need to shift that whole thing because it's not right. And I feel like part of the success for me is that I don't anymore. I mean, in the beginning, I was just like, oh, this cool. You, you seem like a, you know, we both like pizza. I'll manage you or whatever the <laughs> fuck, you know, it's way, it's so much more than that now, but like leading with the fact that you actually give a shit, you already established the foundation for then what you're going to say after that. Because I can tell you the majority, like if, if someone were to interview my clients and the first question was, does Jennifer give a fuck? like actually care about you. It, one for one, it's gonna be absolutely. So that is such an important part of this job. And that's why there are so many reps out there who like maybe they don't. And then, and then clients are like, fuck you. you and, but it's not, oh. Uh, I was mostly waiting for a moment. I just wanna get your attention, but I want you to finish your thought. <laughs> oh, okay, Whoops. okay. I'm sorry. No, 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 that's to... fine. No, 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 that's totally fine. I thought you were saying like, ah, uh, can we... No, no, no. <laughs> okay. No, 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 sorry. Okay. Um, so there are a lot of reps out there who don't lead with that. And they're, you know, agents inherently are money. And I understand that. That A lot of these companies, like, you have to bring in three times your income in order to not get shit canned. So, of course, they are forced to have money as the first thing. Like, is this guy, in the next six months, is he gonna bring in significant income? So, but as a manager, your whole job is to give a fuck. Like, truly care and want the best for the person and be able to just be the sounding board, hold your position, speak some truth that they might not wanna hear, but that's the thing. Like, if you have shown that you actually give a fuck and you're there for the right reasons, you, if, as long as you establish that at the beginning, even and, and sometimes it comes down to the very specific conversations. It's like, as you know, I actually give a fuck about you succeeding, you know? And so therefore, blah, blah, blah. But, and this is kind of, you know, these are the things over time too that I've learned. Like, to me, of course, like that is common sense. Like, of course you yeah. have to actually give a fuck. Yeah. But there are so many reps that don't, Right. necessarily truly yeah. give a fuck and then they try to correct something or come in with some heavy-handed shit 
and they're gonna they're gonna well they're gonna perpetuate the fear and then the clients are going to just succumb and do whatever the fuck they're told because of that fear or it's gonna be the type of environment where it's like you have people who actually give a shit and then they're telling you something that needs to change right. and you're gonna fucking listen because you know it's coming from the place of actually caring. Well, I think that's a perfect tool and I, I can relate to that is just in the fact that you have to understand what you really care about to actually do something for the people, those right. specific people right. and they'll connect to you. No, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, uh, the and I was looking in my, my notes, my tool notes, or whatever, and like trying to find the, the chapter basically of what, what you, were, you were speaking pretty broad, but basically there's basically the chapter of love is always the answer. Yeah. That's the thing. And like if you come at, if you come at any situation from a place of love, like, and I, there's a, there's, there's a, that, that, that goes deep for me, like, and obviously, like, in the 60s, the love, there was this love movement or whatever, and then it got lost and jumbled in the 70s or whatever, but, um, they were definitely onto something and like meeting every opportunity, every situation with love right. yeah. is is going to um, win. It's gonna win. Love wins. Yeah, love yeah. wins and and hate is you know whatever or you know all the Loses. all the the jumble. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, because that establishing moment of like somebody actually giving a fuck, then you yeah. can be vulnerable and then yeah. you can actually say what the fuck's going on and you can communicate in that reality yeah. and figure like figure shit out. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I was gonna ask, it seems like it seems like to work with you, do you think that having that connection connection initially is like baseline kinda with any of your clients or is that something you develop over time? Well I'll tell you like now, because of the number of like meetings I've had, you know, meetings with new potential clients and all of that, I've started, I've, I've gotten to the place where probably within the first, sometimes within the first 30 seconds, sometimes within the fir first five minutes, I know whether the vibe is right and I know whether where they're at is is somehow correct or, or works for where I'm at in this pursuit and you know your type yeah I know my type and it really has to do with like very little ego knowing that the art part is the most important for them and and them allowing someone else like myself to come in and be like cool so I'm handling the business side for you so you can like wake up and do art and you do art all fucking day and then you go to sleep and you do the same thing over and over again. And, you know, and I mean, it's interesting too because the type, like the, the meetings that I have with actors who've been doing this a long time and obviously have had a zillion other reps and whatever, they're like, you know what I really like about you? Just, you fucking tell it like it is. And I'm like, you don't have time not how to do the that. fuck? <laughs> I mean, but seriously, like I... Anyway, my path has been, I was doing art myself. I went directly into helping others do like actual art. I can't even fathom what I would say that would be anything other than let's like, let's be real. And